I would never, ever, ever recommend to anybody to go into this position because it's the most thankless job you will ever work. Welcome back to Other People's Lives. I'm Joe Sanagato. I'm Greg Dybeck. For anyone out there that wants to be a part of the show, don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can reach us at our uh, website, OPLshow.com, or send us an email directly at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. We usually go through all the emails, and then we can uh, set something up. Yeah, and we want to tell you really quickly about a new charity-focused initiative we have that's called Helping Other People. And the way it works is if you become an OPL patron for just $5 a month, you receive weekly bonus episodes, access to our Discord chat, and you'll also automatically become part of this initiative, Helping Other People, uh, where every single month during the season, we'll use a chunk of our Patreon funds to give back in some way. So by donating to a charity or a charitable venture or some other creative way to give back, and as a patron, uh, you will help us decide each month exactly what we can do with that money to help others uh, through this platform. So head over to patreon.com slash OPL show if you want to get involved in that and get all the bonus material as well. Now, on to today's episode. Uh, on this show, we've covered a few prison-related topics. Uh, in a much earlier season, we spoke with a man who was a, a corrections officer at a small uh, county jail. We've spoken to a man who had spent time in prison and had just gotten out. And we even chatted with a woman who was dating a prisoner that she had never met. And today, we're going to be speaking to a man who has over 30 years of experience as a prison guard in a maximum security prison. And uh, we're going to chat about this tough and, I would say, often thankless job so as always we've got our guests on the line thanks for being on the show today thanks joe thanks greg i really appreciate the opportunity to uh to talk to you guys absolutely so before we get into the details of your job and some of the things that you've seen and experienced can you set the environment for us by telling us a bit about the prison that you work at absolutely so i worked at one of the fifth oldest maximum security prisons in the country um, and it's, so it's very antiquated, very structural deficiencies, no fences, all stones, all castles, all bars, um, very old medieval, you know, built in the middle 1800s. And you basically, the way I, I describe it best is our population was designed for about 800 inmates. We, uh, when I left, we had 1250 plus inmates. And I described it as you take 1,250 growing adult alpha males, you put them in a city block, you make them all live in their bathroom, and you take half of those guys and make them live with another man in their bathroom. And that's the environment you're in. When, when you say, like, I mean, it's supposed to house 800, but you guys had over 1,200 inmates, is that typical for prisons or is it? Like, why can you just fit 400 more people than it's designed to fit? Um, great question. It's not designed to fit that. It was designed and built in that day. So when I originally built this prison, it held women, it held kids, um, and it held men. And we actually have a log book that's two feet by two feet of every inmate that's ever been incarcerated there from the day it opened. Um, and it's all handwritten. But they were in for the smallest things of not paying child support. And this is a maximum security prison. 
um, to kids that were there, women, they were all separated. So you think of the structural deficiencies of what you have nowadays in that same place compared to back then when they built it. So they would keep adding on and adding on and adding on. Well, there's only so much places you can add on. Right. And people always... um uh, people always talk about kind of maximum security prisons versus not. And I know the last guest we spoke to many, many seasons ago uh, that worked in sort of a, a county jail where I guess it was kind of more of rotating uh, inmates. But what exactly makes a prison maximum security and what, what type of sentences uh, did these inmates have where you worked? So when I first started there, we had no inmate younger than 23 years old you that was pretty much the norm is you had to be at least 23 because of the the environment you were in and the people that were there because if you came in younger than that there could be some serious disadvantages to your well-being hmm. so it they had a reformatory that was for the younger uh generation or younger population of inmates and then they had the max prison and that's where your older guys went um, one of the first guys that we received at this institution, um, who was under that age, he uh, he literally he had six life sentences. He ended up working for me, um, but because of his length of sentencing, um, I mean, he was never getting out of prison. He had, he basically killed six people, so they sent him to the max instead of to the reformatory because he was like. 19 when he came in so by 19 years old he had six homicides already so when you so these are the type of people that are like staying in this maximum security prison so i mean is there anything that <clears throat> which i'm sure there is but can you kind of explain uh, explain the difference between you know what these people are able to do like do they get the same amount of <clears throat> time outdoors if any or is there are they like locked down like for 23 hours of the day how, how does it kind of differ being in a maximum security prison than it does in like a regular prison for the inmates so there's basically three classifications there's a minimum minimum security a medium security and a maximum security and then you go jump up to a supermax um supermaxes have basically no movement unless you're escorted by a staff member when you're out of your cell um, those are a more of a new wave thing that has come in. Uh, when I started, we didn't have any super maxes. We just had maximum. And they, so we, we have multiple cell blocks and we have cells. We don't have pods. We don't have rooms. Like some, if you go to a medium, they refer to it as your pod or your room. We don't at, at the institution I worked at. You, you lived in a cell block and you lived in a cell. I mean, that's just a cold hard truth uh mm. all of our cell blocks are almost identical all four of them they're four tiers high they hold between 50 and 52 cells per tier the bottom two tiers are doubled up so on your bottom range you'll have 104 inmates the next range up you'll have 104 the next range up You'll have 52, and then the top range will be 52. You'll have one sergeant and two officers in that cell block. So I think the, and, and thank you, I think that's all paints a very kind of vivid picture of this environment. And the kind of obvious question, and why we're so interested in talking to you, is what 
draws a person to this environment to to be their everyday work setting where you know we can understand the dangers and you're around a lot of dangerous people uh what what was it for you that made you want to go there you know every day and and work as a prison guard um well to to give you a little background without trying to review i try to maintain some anonymity because there is uh repercussions that can be suffered you know we've we've seen out in colorado one of their head security guys was killed at home by an aryan brotherhood inmate who had just got released um he was this Aryan Brotherhood inmate was told to go to this guy's house and kill him. So he dressed up. He killed a, a Domino's pizza delivery guy, took his uniform, grabbed his pizza, knocked on the guy's the security guy's door and um, shot him in the fucking head. And this was a prison guard that he killed when he got out of prison? No, it was not a prison guard. It was administration for. Prison. Oh, okay. But someone so who worked at that prison. I don't, wow. I don't believe he was a warden. I think he was just under the warden. No, he was actually. I take it back. This guy was in charge of the entire state's prison system. Wow. So he was the head guy, and yeah, there. That it's. And and I look back on it. So my father worked in the system. I have a, I had a brother that worked in the system. Um, so I knew it well. And I always said, there's not a chance. And the next thing you know, I had my first child. I didn't have insurance. I paid for the entire birthing. And I said, I need to get a job that has some good benefits. And I took a huge pay cut to get into the prison system but my benefits were really good hmm. and, and looking back on this now i would never ever ever recommend to anybody to go into this position because it's the most thankless job you will ever work and you know what kind of goes through your head like on a day-to-day -day? i mean you tell this story about this guy got out of prison and immediately killed someone who's sort of involved in this industry um and you're kind of dealing with uh, these inmates on a personal level. So I'm, you know, I can only imagine, you know, you get into it with a certain inmate, like every now and then, um, does it ever go through your mind or like kind of a, you're afraid that maybe, you know, when these people get out, if they get out or whatever, that there is some sort of like that could potentially happen to you. Absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. At 100%. Um, I mean, we had so a, a really good example of we uh, we were in the chow hall, and at the time we held oh probably 180 inmates um, that would come in at one time. And I'm standing in there, and we have three or four staff members. Super volatile area because you're everybody's completely exposed. You have a large number of inmates, and and I see this guy walk in, and you know you. You know all the inmates. You know who they are. Um, and I don't recognize them. And I, I kind of watch him. And he's got three white dudes in front of him, three white dudes behind him, big dude, put together, tats all over. And I notice what they call cufflinks. So he has tattoos on his wrist of swastikas. And when he walks by me, he's like, what's up, boss man? I'm like, you know, what's going on? And he went and he sat down. Well, right away you could recognize this is not your normal inmate who we have come through here. This is a new guy. 
Well, it ends up he's in charge of four different states for a uh, predominantly white gang. Um, and this guy had the authority that they had. They tr- they tried charging him, and I don't know if it ever went through, but he was ordering fully, auto- fully automatic weapons from another country to bring into the United States for his gang. I mean, the the... It's crazy the amount of outreach they have. We had one staff member, and this inmate worked for him for a long time, and they were joking back and forth. And he's like, yeah, I'll call you when I get out. And the staff member's like, yeah, I got an unlisted, unpublished number. He's like, dude, that doesn't matter. He's like, no, you'll never be able to get my phone call. And it was not in a threatening manner. They they had a good rapport. They worked every day together. And uh, the next day, the guy came in, and he flipped him up. Uh, thing of matches and he's like yeah what do i want this for he's like look inside and he opened it up and that was his phone number inside (laughs) wow it it must be crazy just seeing this through your eyes because like even you saying like cufflinks or like the lingo for that or understanding uh what gang is what and you just must be looking out at all this as like prison politics almost right like the things that you must know you know, about these individuals, about the gangs, about when something might be about to happen, when there's tension, when there's not, like, is that just something you'd kind of just pick up over time by being in this environment, this kind of whole new knowledge of, of these gangs and inmates and those sort of prison politics? Absolutely. Huge, huge prison politics. There's days you can walk into that chow hall and it's dead quiet. And you look at, first thing I looked at was, because I was active into the gangs, is, all right, do we have whites sitting with whites, whites and blacks, Hispanics, who's sitting with who, what's the division, you know, really what's, get a feel. And I would call supervisors and say, hey, we need to get some more staff down here. I don't know what's going on, but there's something wrong. And I know when uh, your previous uh, interview with the, the correctional officer through the county, he talked about staff presence as one of the force option continues, one of the th- first things you can do is show up and that can deter stuff. So mm-hmm. we would bring additional staff down and the supervisors, other staff are like, holy shit, what's going on here? And, you know, there were times nothing would happen. And a lot of times we believe it's because we had a strong staff presence of what was going on. But, you know, you start getting into the gangs and how organized they are. We had a guy who, who was bringing drugs in. And he was getting him in on visits. And we could not figure out how. And we had several informants that were telling me this guy, you know. So I watched hours and hours and hours of him on video on his visits. And what they would do is his visitor would come in. And this is how I figured it out. And it would be summertime. And she would have a baggy sweatshirt on. And the inmate wouldn't be in the visiting room at that time. And she would walk all the way to the vending machine. She'd get some M&Ms and I would watch her because we had the cameras on her. And there's a, it's a long distance to view the, the vending machines on the camera. And you can see she'd be down messing around there. Well, when it was all said and done, we could figure it out. What she would do is she would prepackage a, a vending size M&Ms. And she would tape it to her forearm, her inner forearm. She'd go push the buttons to get M&Ms out. She'd reach down to grab it like she was grabbing them. She'd switch them out inside of her sweatshirt, retape it back onto her forearm. 
she'd come back and in the bag that she prepared were small balloons that were different colored that looked like M&Ms that were full of drugs. And when we finally figured it, we'd watch him. He'd put him in his mouth. He really wouldn't chew him. He'd always drink a soda. He was swallowing a complete bag. So, I mean, we tried everything. I actually went as far as to have his water shut off in his cell. He was on a second range up and um, snuck in there, shut his water off. He complains, hey, there's something wrong with my water. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to move cells to you so we can get you a cell you know that everything is working we strategically planned this and had him move to the opposite side of the cell hall where we could place a camera on a roof outside and shoot it into his cell Hmm. to try to get him when he comes back he would puke him up is what he would do um and then he was smart he wouldn't hold it he was a he was a high-ranking gang member he wouldn't hold any of the drugs he'd give them to his cellmate an older white guy and he'd use force and just threaten. So Jeez. he'd make the old white guy hold him. So that way, if the, he ever got shook down, which he did all the time, he never had him. The old white guy had him. He's untouchable. It's Wow. Yeah. It, it, the game of cat and mouse. And it's like uh, on a personal level. I mean, I know that it's your job to stop these things. And I know these things are illegal. But are you impressed at all? Like, I, I just know me and Joe have, have had this conversation of like the ingenuity of inmates or people, you know, with their back against their wor- the, the wall or just when survival instincts kick in, just the things people are capable of and, and the creativity is on, it's mind blowing, honestly. And I'm sure you've seen that kind of more than anyone. Is, is there a part of you that's just like, wow, that that's actually clever. That's smart all the time like i I remember you guys talking about shawshank redemption and that guy's not going to crawl through that pipe with shit (laughs) desperate people do desperate things Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day if it means that he's got to crawl through 200 feet of a pipe full of shit so he can be out of prison absolutely 100 that's going to be done i've seen so we had i had an informant come to me and tell me that hey this inmate's talking about escaping or I heard him talk about escaping and he's talking about getting fake IDs made up. And I'm like, well, how is he going to do it? Well, he's going to have a Black Hawk helicopter land out on the wreck field when he's at wreck. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. That, that sounds great. Right. But you know, if it's brought to me, I'm going to investigate it. And uh, so I look into this and I start listening to this guy's phone calls and start researching his mail and find out he's been to the visiting room and he had pictures taken specifically that would match a, driver's license and i'm like hmm well then i start reading some of his letters and sure enough i had him on a mail monitor he's sending these pictures out to his brother while i research his brother his brother just got back from overseas and his brother was a black hawk pilot and i was like holy shit this this is for real this and this this inmate specifically had two life sentences he would uh he would kidnap young kids. They called him the bone, the bone crusher. He'd, he'd kidnap young kids, and he got off by hearing their bones break. And he would put them in his closet, tape them up so they couldn't talk, couldn't move, and he'd break their ankles, break their knees, break. And that was his, his fetish. I mean, honest to God, fetish. And this this 13-year-old kid 
well, this inmate left actually made it out of the closet and his his legs and his ankles were broke, made it to downstairs to a phone and called 911. And that's how they caught him. Wow. And I, I imagine, too, like just kind of thinking about, you know, this and you're explaining these very elaborate sort of escape schemes. Um I imagine it would happen a lot more in a prison where it's maximum security and it's people doing six, you know, life terms. It's like, I'm never getting out of here. So it's not like someone who has, you know, four or five years or even like, you know, 10 years. It's like, well, I have a life after this. These people have no life after this. It's like my life now is just coming up with these elaborate schemes to get out of here because that's all I really can do. So it must be, you know, very prevalent in your job to kind of, you know, deal with these sorts of things is that fair to say again desperate people will do desperate things absolutely and you got to remember you know they have 24 hours a day to sit there and to think about different ways um we had an inmate come in from orange county california badass white dude um had big tats on his stomach orange county straight aryan brotherhood and he had a problem with one of the inmates down the range. Well, somehow he got a hold of some gasoline. And I, we know how he got it. He got it from our yard because, you know, we cut our grass inside. We're a city contained within a city. So he got some gas from the yard, put it in a shampoo bottle, um, took the shampoo bottle, laid it on the top of this guy's TV. So waited till they went to chow, snuck into this guy's cell. Uh, on the so it was a long neck shampoo bottle um put a small pinhole in it laid it on the back on the top of his tv so that pinhole was over the back uh, you know like vents and the older tvs and everybody always leaves their tv on and so that gasoline would slowly drip and he set it up just right and bam there's a huge fire in this cell i mean genius absolutely genius that's insane that's insane to hear yeah we actually had we had the i so i was one of the responders there and i knew this guy well i had talked to him multiple times um those people intrigued me so had had multiple conversations with them and then we had the fire marshal come in from you know the largest town in 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 our state here and he looked at it and he's like who in the hell thought of this and ended up it was it was this guy that's you know people have to remember um everybody understands violence everybody you understand violence if if you mess up or you fuck up you understand violence if you come into prison and you're claiming to be this gang member and you got tattoos and they vet you and they check and you don't have them, you're getting rid of those tattoos. There's a punishment. So the hierarchy of gangs is crazy. So, you know, we had this white guy in our institution. He was in charge of like four states. Um, we also had like the second in command. He actually worked for me. So I used to hire guys and, and a lot of staff couldn't understand this. I would hire guys that were high ranking gang members. And I did it because I get to see who they're talking to every day. Who are they working with? Who are they who are they associating with? Is he hanging with just white dudes now or just black dudes? Or why is he talking to this head gang member? 
or what's going on. You know, it's the prison politics of it. And this guy that worked for me, so he's one of the under-ranking, high-ranking. He's He was in charge of the state. Um, so I would befriend him. Hey, you know, what's going on? He's working for me, daily stuff. And he tells me about he's they're selling drugs. This is a predominantly white gang in a big city. Um, he's got one of his workers out selling drugs. Every time he comes back, he's short on the money. So they know he's scamming off the top. Not allowed. So gangs have what they call violations. If you're caught breaking the rules, you get violated. So they actually have a sheet made up. They write down what the violation is. You sit in front of a board member of the gang, and they determine if you're innocent or guilty and what your punishment is. And your punishment could be from physical exercise to they kill you. Um, this guy has been warned many times, so they killed him. Took him out, and they killed him. But what they did is they cut his one hand off, his right hand, and they put it in a freezer. And... From there on out, whenever they would commit a, a homicide, they would put this guy's hand, his fingerprints on the gun and leave it at the scene. And they know that they can't catch this guy. They can't catch us. There's no way because this guy's dead. You know, and then it came out to the fact they ended up in our home along. They found the body and then there's another homicide. And then at this homicide, there's the weapon. And on this weapon... Is this dead guy's fingerprints? Jeez. And it's like, you know, that's genius, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, seriously. And, you know, like, there's, I'm sure there's so many inmate stories, and it's so easy, I think, for us to kind of get, like, fascinated with those. But, you know, for you to be seeing all this, hearing these stories, understanding it. Uh, you said over 30 years of experience. I mean, the amount of stories that you must have, the things that you've seen, the amount of people you know have been killed, tortured, uh, that you've heard about, that you've seen. I mean, for a prison guard or someone in your position, just the mental health aspect of it, how, how did you kind of take care of yourself just from mental health, mental fatigue, just being around so much tension, violence, you know, all these things that you're walking into every day. How do you just kind of, you know, protect your own mind? So for me, it was, I embraced it. It was a learning process. Um, I'm intrigued by the human psyche. So it was definitely a learning experience for me, but the aftermath of what you suffer from, I mean, the normal person does not see somebody take a razor blade and cut themselves from their ankle to the back of their knee up their calves both of them that's not normal you don't see that it's not normal for the average person to see some guy eating his own feces that's not normal that that definitely has uh an influence on your psyche altogether you know the, the stuff that the suicides the attacks the violence um, just the craziness. So part of this, it comes from a lot of the asylum Salem's or crazy houses, whatever you want to call them. You know, they shut those down years ago, years ago. Don't need them. Well, they release these, a lot of these people back on a society. And that's a lot of who your homeless people were. Well, they, 65% of our population has mental health concerns. Um, 35% 
roughly 35% have some type of communicable disease. So, you know, people don't think of that aspect of what you go into. We had a, we had a, a, a chef that worked by us and this, so inmates are master manipulators. They will set a staff member up. It takes about 18 months from start to finish. And they pick the weakest staff member they can find. How do you carry yourself? How do you dress? How do you look? How do you speak? Um, you know, are you got your head down when you're talking to me? Do you have confidence? And this inmate who was rumored because you don't have a right to know if he's HIV positive or not, was rumored to have AIDS. And um he manipulated this female into having sex. And I was involved with some of this interview process afterwards. So they find some, some condoms in this, uh, this area of the institution where we shouldn't have condoms because we don't have condoms in prison. So they start investigation. The word gets out. Yeah, it's rumored that it's this girl and this inmate. Uh, they talk to her. She's like, yep. And they so since the inmates have the right, since it's it's not a right to know state, staff don't have a right to know. So they could not tell her that he was HIV positive. So they questioned her and says, "Hey, do you know, did you have sex? Yes, I did. Did you have uh, unprotected sex? Yes, I had that. Um, was there any oral sex? Yes. Was it unprotected? Yes." Um, did he ejaculate in your mouth? Yes, he did. And it's like, I'm willing to bet that when she started for the prison system, she didn't think she was going to get a literal death injection of what took place. So she had just been married. She had an eight-year-old daughter. And you can't tell her that he's HIV positive. They actually had to go to court the inmate wouldn't tell her, so had to go to court, a big deal, to finally have a court order to say, yep, you can tell her. Because this inmate has rights that nobody can know this. It's a HIPAA violation. Um, but because of the circumstances, we had to go to court so we could tell her that, hey, that guy you were having unprotected sex with and oral sex with, yeah, he gave you a lethal injection. Jeez. So... Uh as someone who works there, then how do you like personally guard yourself from that? Like being compromised or prisoners trying to like corrupt you, you know, is it like, how do you kind of carry yourself, you know, every yeah, day? And you had mentioned, you know, something about like, you know, putting your head down and, you know, things like that. So, you know, what are the things that you consciously do on a day to day you know, something like as simple as I keep eye contact, the way that I speak, this and that, like, you know, what are some things that you purposely go out of your way uh, to not seem like a weak link? So that's a, that's a really great question. And I used to address this with staff on um, the new staff that came in. I was a, a field training officer for the place. Um, when I came in every day, my boots were shined. My uniform was pressed. I looked good. Um, I wore it well, and my motto was, if you don't give me respect, I'm going to command respect from you. But I'll be real honest. I had very, very few problems with inmates because I didn't talk down to them. I talked to them like a man. I addressed them as, you know, as sir. Um, so there's a big difference. Let me, let me clear this up once. There's a big difference between a correctional officer and a prison guard. 
And I never realized it till one of my captains called me one day. He's like, hey, we need you to come up, take care. We got to take care of some stuff. And he's like, you know, I still call up some of the old school prison guards when we have prison guard stuff that needs to be taken care of. He said, the best thing I love about you is you're a really good correctional officer, but you're even a better prison guard. So today's mantra is correctional officer. And I will agree 150%. 90% of your time dealing with inmates is talking. That 10% is dealing with the physical aspect. So if you can talk and you can communicate and you can be respectful and not demeaning and degrading, and you'll do good. But the minute you lie to inmates, your word is everything. It's respect in your word. The inmate's got a question, and I'm not sure. Hey, let me get back to you. And I get back to them and tell them, and I'll tell them right there, hey, I don't know that answer. But let me get back to you and find out what it is. And then I get back to them, and then they know, oh, wow, yeah, I can uh, I can trust this guy. This guy's good for his word. And when I say trust, you know, that's a liberal term to use with it. But they know if they have a problem, they can come to me. And you develop that rapport. Um, and because we work long term with these inmates, you definitely have a, if you want to say, favorite inmates, where you treat different because it's advantageous for you and your your position as far as whether it's information they're going to provide you, um, how they, you know, I've had I've had inmates who I knew were head gang members, and one of their lackeys underneath was just had a big mouth and uh and i had a great relationship with this head gang gang guy and i went to him i pulled him to the side and i said hey listen um take care of this guy and when i say take care of talk to him he uh he's 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 bringing drama on and uh sure enough he talks to a couple guys they go over talk to this inmate and uh there was a stern warning put out because you got to remember all these gangs and institutions are running some type of illegal activities so they don't want any drama they want things to go smooth because you're fucking up their program and they don't want that to get fucked up so what's the exact reason of you kind of telling a head gang member to kind of watch out for one of his guys who has a big mouth like what what's kind of like the ultimate goal of that the ultimate goal is to get compliance from the inmate, this, this young punk who's got a big mouth. He's causing a lot of problems within uh, the cell block we're in, thinking he's a big shot. He's nobody. He's a yeah. new 19-year-old kid that comes in, and he's running his mouth, acting like he's really about something. And he's new. He's new to the joint. And he's trying to establish himself. You know, there's a dominance. There's a pecking order. And... That's just not how it works. So instead of me pulling him to the side, he's not going to mm, listen. I see. You know, here's here's a black guy who got pulled over by a white cop. He got prosecuted by a white prosecutor. He had a white judge and a white jury, and now he's going to listen to me. Not going to happen. Yeah, that's an interesting dynamic then, because it's I guess it's just it's kind of for the greater good or or just kind of order being maintained. Um, within like the whole prison and and I'm curious like in this position do you did you find yourself or do you now like often thinking about kind of the larger prison system as a whole and like is this rehabilitating people is this a lost cause in that sense Uh, can there be things done differently or is it sort of like 
how you know we almost hear some soldiers talk about you know when when we're at war like the the cause or the greater good here isn't in our minds this is survival every day this is about the person you know next to me kind of i guess where's where's your head at uh, on i guess a day-to-day level considering that you are a piece of this kind of much much larger system that is obviously topic for much debate so when I would be a field training officer, my priority and what I told every new staff member that came in is at the end of the day, our goal is for everybody to go home. Mm. That's that's our number one priority. If everybody goes home, we had a good day. But within that, you know, I've sat young guys down, young guys that have been real smart ass punks, really think they're tough. Um, I'm not a tough guy, but I know tough guys. I'm not a killer, but I know some killers. And I'm a very straightforward, very direct. What you see is what you get. Um, so staff members write conduct reports on inmates if they uh, break the rules. I wrote very, very limited conduct reports. To me, that's, I mean, some things you have to. Obviously, you see something that's that serious in front of you. There's no choice. But if the guy doesn't have his shoes tied and he's running his mouth, um, I'll pull him to the side. I'll show him the utmost respect. I won't do it in front of his friends. I won't front him out. I'll pull him to the side and I'll say, listen, what, what's going on? You know, maybe there's something deeper here. Maybe he just found out his mom died. Maybe there was something with the kid, you know, kids or, and, and I'd pull him to the side and I would talk to him like, like an adult. I had one young black guy who, um, was looking for directions. I was outside and I said, Hey, sir, can I help you? He's like, uh, I'm looking for ABC. And I'm like, oh, not a problem. Go up these stairs, sir. Go to the top. Take a right. And it's right there. And he just looked at me. And he's probably 19. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, you know what? This is the first time in my life anybody has ever called me sir. I just want to say thank you. And that didn't cost me anything to gain that respect from him. Yeah, and to keep the humanity in it. You know which which i think is important and yeah it's uh like we kind of said in the beginning or, or like you said it's you know for sure a thankless job and you know you said you don't consider yourself a tough guy but i mean we would consider you a tough guy i think for a lot of reasons because you're doing something that a lot of people couldn't imagine doing and it's just um you know entering i guess when you enter those walls it's just not it's a different set of rules it's different politics it's just something that most people don't have to think about, won't think about, and won't ever really know about and understand. And I think, you know, that's why it's so cool for us to, you know, get get this perspective, you know, from, from you and, and having so much experience there. Not only physically tough, but also mentally tough to be to kind yeah. of walk into that environment every day and know what you're up against and, you know, still kind of doing your job to the best of your ability. And like you said, keeping the humanity in it as well. Um <clears throat> when you're dealing with inmates who have, you know, like you said, six homicides by the age of 19, it can, the lines can get blurred. And, you know, a lot of officers from what you hear, you know, they decide to take the humanity out of it. They feel like people don't deserve it. But I think, you know, what you kind of explained is that when you do keep that in there, um, it actually works to your benefit. So, um, yeah, I think it was a really cool, like, sort of perspective and your mentality, uh, you know, when you're approaching this job in, in a situation where, you know, it's super dangerous and, you know, high-level uh, criminals. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much for, for coming on and, and talking to us and uh, kind of explaining that. I think that was, like, 
you know, a really cool way to sort of approach that. Absolutely. Thank you, Joe and Greg. I appreciate the opportunity to be able to, uh, it's, it's therapeutical, I guess, for me to be able to talk about stuff like that. It really, you know, mentally it does me well to get it off my chest of the different things we've experienced. And I, and I'm sure it's hard for people to grasp that, but there is some therapeutical concept with it for, uh, for me. No, absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate it. We, 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 you know, we're glad to hear that. And, um, yeah, again, thank, thanks again, and I uh, hope you have a great day. All right, you too, my friends. Take care, and uh, I'll be continuing to listen. If there's something that's interfering with your happiness or something that you're mentally having a hard time with, then we recommend checking out BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. BetterHelp is professional counseling done securely online. You'll get matched with a licensed professional therapist and can start talking in under 48 hours. It's super convenient, private, and there's no waiting rooms. You simply book a video or phone session and can also message your counselor directly at any time. It's available worldwide, it's affordable, and financial aid is also available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Join over a million other people who have taken charge of their mental health through BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and other people's lives. Listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash OPL. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OPL for 10% off your first month. You know, every time we do one of these episodes, I kind of feel like inmates are some of the more inventive and innovative people in the world. As wild as that sounds. Literally. Well, yes. You hear stories about like escapes or, you know, little things or like the like the story he told about the M&Ms, like who would think of that? Yeah. I mean, I guess I know, I know. It's it's insane. I mean, you kind of wonder like would you? I guess that's kind of the thing about it is like it's like he said, when you're at that level of desperation or when you have nothing to lose because you're in that situation, maybe you know you're never getting out of this place. It's insane, I guess, what the human mind and body is capable of. And it's it, uh, it's just always so eye-opening to hear like those type of specific you know, inmate stories. It also sounds like, I mean, this is going to be a, a ridiculous statement, but like, a game or like kind of fun in a way to come up with these schemes to be like, how can we get drugs in here, you know, in a more in innovative fashion? I mean, that seems like a, an, a, an appropriate way to pass the time if you're doing six life sentences. That's all I'm saying. Right. I mean, I'm sure crime is very fun for some people who choose to go that path. Like, I, yeah, I don't think that's crazy to say, honestly. Like, you know, yeah. the adrenaline rush of robbing a bank. Let's be real. Uh, kind, of, kind, of, <laughs> kind of, you know, no one gets hurt. You steal a bunch of money, but, you know. Yeah, no, but, um, yeah, it's just always interesting to, to hear from people like that. And, you know, it's, it's like, shocking when, you know, he's, he's humble, too. And it's like, I'm, I'm not tough. I know tough people. Like, dude, like, you're tough, man. Like, Mentally you're walking tough in, as fuck. Yeah, you're walking into that environment, the mental aspect of it, to, to be able to just to be on edge, like, Dude, I'll finish a podcast sometimes and like complain to my wife, like, you don't understand. It's so draining. You have to like be turned <laughs> on. Like, imagine seriously, like, head on a swivel, like, so focused. You can't miss a beat your whole job. Like, there's really nothing necessarily protecting you. Um, your life's you know, on the line. 
Yeah, and it is this constant like game that you have to play of, you know, the movements, the the confidence that you exude, how you want to deal with these inmates and, you know, it it, it is always good to to hear when someone in this kind of uh, authoritative position um, you know, in prison or cops that like you said at the end, like let's keep the humanity in this and like for him to kind of really dig deep and understand like, man, this guy might be acting out, but like, we don't know the circumstances that got him here. I don't know if he just found out someone he loves passed away or, you know, it's like to, to be able to keep that in the back of your mind and, and treat everyone, you know, as a human in that type of environment, because it seems like it would be so easy to be the opposite, to just be power hungry or have that God complex and use your authority and push people around and talk down to people. So, you know, for him, so articulate with us, and I'm sure, you know, also was with, with the inmates who are there for various reasons, you know, granted the, the bone crusher, like, yeah, that guy is, that guy probably (laughs) deserves a little less empathy than everyone else. Exactly. But it's a spectrum. I'm sure you can't just label every prisoner, everyone who committed a crime as the same. Yeah. That guy's wow. But, uh, bone crusher, but it's, it's, yeah, to have that sort of fluidity in that type of position and understanding is, you know, refreshing to hear, um, d- you know, just the climate that we live in today and, and how people are capable of abusing power. Um, but, yeah, man, like, like he said, it's, it's just it's an interesting job. Uh, and it's, you know, for him, it's, it's let's get everyone out of here safely. And I'm sure that goes both ways. Let's keep the inmates safe. Let's keep my team safe. Let's let's keep everyone just safe. Like let's have, have everyone's alive tomorrow, and then we'll figure out all the other stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and like you know, we've said multiple times during this episode, it is sort of like a thankless job. It's something that happens, and people don't really think about. Or you know, a lot of CEOs have like uh, a bad reputation as well because they either abuse their power, this and that. But just like anything else, there's not you know not every single person is bad or corrupt or just a fucking asshole of course those exist across every single industry and every career but um the people who are going out there putting their lives on the line and kind of dealing with this day-to-day not only physically but mentally as well and then having to go home and just you know be a regular person like it's a it's a tough thing to do you know a lot of us we work jobs that are draining and whatever but it's it's nothing that could potentially alter your mentality and your relationships and, and this and that, like you could turn it off. It's easy to turn it off. But when, you know, you kind of deal with a job like this, where he's talking about like people get out of prison and they make moves on people who, you know, are in the system murdering them. Like yeah. it's, it's a whole different type of anxiety that you're dealing with. Like you don't work for a bank and then you're worried about the, your boss coming to kill you or something. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like it's just, you don't bring it home in that way. You kind of like leave it at the office for, for them. It's, it's a whole different kind of ball game mentally. Um, but yeah, very interesting uh, episode. And uh, for anyone out there, like I said in the beginning, if you want to be a part of the show, definitely reach out to us. OPLshow.com is our website, or you can reach us directly at OPLpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, follow us on Instagram at OPL Podcast. And like we said in the beginning, super excited about our Patreon this season and that growing community. So check that out. Help support the show. Get a bunch of bonus material, behind the scenes episodes, and get involved in our helping other people initiative to help us decide what to do with a portion of the Patreon money 
every single month to donate to a charity, some sort of charitable venture. We'll get creative. We want you guys to be a part of it. Check that out at patreon.com slash OPL show and uh, leave a rating, review, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Yep, and that is all. See you guys next time.